Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. If you're in the consumer products world today or anything associated with it, you're going to love this podcast because on the podcast today, we have the CEO and co-founder Alexander Gillette on. He's got this company called How Good, the world's largest product sustainability database company. And so many cool parts of this um, are going to tie into brand. And Alexander, it is so great having you on the podcast. Thanks. Appreciate the invitation. <laughs> Glad you're here. Uh, listen, man, I love this space. I, I shared with you before the podcast, my world has been consumer goods, consumer brands and services and like the retail parts of it. And so when I got your information a couple weeks ago, I had so much fun diving into like what How Good's doing and how you guys are using data. And, and I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I think you're just on the early cusp, even though you've been doing this for 14 years of like people leveraging you guys. So I can't wait to dive in. Let's start with this. Talk about how you went from you start. I, I noticed in your background you were in technology consulting before you founded this company. So, how did you decide to start this business and why in this space? Yeah, um, I, I mean, <laughs> I think if I was honest about the tech consulting thing, that was one of like four gigs that I had at the time, including this one at the same oh, no time. No way! I uh, love it. <laughs> yeah, so I had I had a tech consulting which ended up with me basically doing like tech consulting for, you know, C D list celebrities nice. around New York city. Oh, that's kind of cool. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a cool gig and, and it was very interesting and they had a lot of money to spend on gadgets that I found interesting. Um, <laughs> and when I didn't know what I was doing, I could Google it, you know, that's so cool. <laughs> I love it. Right. I had a, I had a greenhouse on 26 and 10. Um, great location, these specialty peppers nice. uh, and, and we sell them to restaurants. And I, I had a couple of other jobs going at the same time, including how good. And so it was, you know, my, my mid twenties and I was just, uh, trying to figure out exactly where I wanted to put all my energy. But at that time, most of the money from those other projects was all flowing into how good I had a bigger vision. Got I just it. didn't know if we'd be able to pull it off. All right. So um, that's so cool. I love that. And so how good for those who don't know, independent research company with the world's largest database on food and personal care product sustainability, such a hot topic today with more than 33,000 ingredients, chemicals and materials assessed. I'm sure that number is actually higher now since when I did my research here. Um, but you're working with retailers and brands to improve environmental and social impact. I mean, what a cool idea. Um, such a great mission focus. And so talk about you had it kind of going with these other streams. When did it become like the main thing? Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a slow shift, you know, it was like I'd drop off one of those things and I'd drop off the next and more and more of my energy was going towards it. I mean, at a certain point it was very clear that it was my main thing, but it, it wasn't profitable. Right. Sure. It was a concept that I needed to put my own money in. And I actually ended up getting my first investment from one of the people that I did the tech work for. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's how where some of our seed money came from. There was a shift when, you know, the, the, the concept was a little bit more broad about kind of rating everything. And we narrowed it down specifically to grocery and food. Sure. Um, and we developed a business model around that. And, you know, the, the basic premise 
is that for your average for your average product, even if they've done kind of deep studies, so like a, a life cycle analysis study or something like that on their own on their own impact, they don't know what the farm next to them is doing and they don't know what the farm next to that is doing and the one in the next state and the one in the next country and the one halfway around the world. Right. Sure. And so while they might have good data on themselves, they don't understand typically what the best practices are and how those interact. And so how good very much was formed on this idea of centralizing uh, both the data and the understandings that come out from the data. Um, and our first go to market was with small grocery stores to help them communicate to uh, their customers. So like literally printing a rating right next to the price tag um, so that customers could, you know, don't have to understand the difference between cage-free, free-range, free-roaming, <laughs> certified humane, and USDA organic eggs, right? Which sure. probably one out of all of the people listening to this podcast <laughs> could tell you I don't know. Actually. I definitely am not the one, by the way. <laughs> no, know. no. Almost no one. I mean, you can ask people who work in eggs <laughs> on sustainability, and they're like, wait, free-range is... Wait, no, that's free-roaming. Sorry, I got them. I, they, you know. Are those and different? part of that is like... <laughs> It came, they came from good intention. And then there were some people who were like, oh, we can't meet that standard. So we'll do one that's slightly lower. But now that you have these five different standards, customers are just overwhelmed. And so Got the it. idea here was just we'd simplify not just the egg aisle, but the entire grocery store. Wow. Um, and we saw this insane lift, right, where there was like a 250% lift in sales for your average best rated product. Wow. Right. Okay. And so, yeah. It was it was a very kind of magical and cool thing, and just to see how much customers cared, um, and to see that it didn't matter like price mattered in some areas, but even if you're in a low income store or a, or a high end store, you saw on average the same percentage shift. It just happened where there was less price variation. Got it. Um, so it was pretty cool to see that the values transcended, and they transcended geographic location as well. So you know, from rural Texas to you know, New York City, um, we're seeing kind of the same percentage numbers. And so we were really inspired by that. And at the same yeah. time, the data that we were collecting was almost being painfully oversimplified. And what right? do you mean like by that? We, I mean, we've created the largest database on food sustainability in the globe, and it was currently only being used for customers to see a good, great, or best rating. Got it. Right? Without without the companies that are making these products being able to shift their practices and understand what what impact their current practices are happening and what they could do better. Got right? it. And how did you decide um, and so what that's data Lattice and our platform that's where it. that comes from? Okay, got it. And we're gonna hit on Lattice for sure in just a second. But how did you decide what data needed to be collected and how did you decide how to bring that together in the early days? You know I, I mean, the, the honest answer is piecemeal, right? Like we sure. looked for what was available. Okay. And then as we gathered, we started with the most easily attainable data. And once we had gathered enough of that into a centralized location, then we started to be able to present that to different uh, groups and different industry experts and say, we have this database. We want to make it better. We want to partner with you. We'll give you access. You give us your understanding and the data that you have. Got right? it building that up till we have over 400 different uh, data sources that we're pulling together to gain an understanding for a single ingredient. And being able to say, you know, 
this is the impact of this growing practice here. But if you shift to a few states over, those same practices can have a completely different, you know, carbon impact, water impact, labor impact. So you have to understand them in every area they're being grown globally. Wow. Now, who were your initial customers? Were they the brands or retailers or or other suppliers, I'll call it? Or like, what did that look like? And then where, where would you say your customer base is now? Yeah, I mean, our, our initial, like our, our very first sale was to the Weaver's Way Food Co-op in <laughs> Philadelphia. I love it. <laughs> um, and what did probably, they buy? What were they buying? Like a service? Like almost about like a, the, they bought the ratings. They bought just having tags oh, on, on the shelf. But they it. never put them up on the shelf. Oh, They actually used them as a back end in the end. It was our first inkling of like, oh, people want this for sourcing. They were a really interesting partner because they, they're very kind of passionate and very, very driven in their mission. But they're also probably the size of your average person's living room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so obviously that was the starting point. And we grew into more co-ops and then more natural food stores and then into conventional stores and eventually, you know, into some of the biggest players um, in the country, like Ajo Del Hayes. They have 2000 stores here in the U.S. Probably most a lot of people won't know that name. Um, because it's, it, they own other brands. So, you know, they own brands like, uh, giant Landover or Hannaford or stop and shop. Sure. Wow. So that was your first sale and they were buying the information that could go on tags, but they were using it more of a backup backend system type input. Correct. Well, that was Weaver's way, but, yep. but awful Delhaze, the yep. big company, when they came in, that was launching it, you know, at scale. That was once we'd already rolled out to about 26 states. Wow. Um, and so then they came in to launch it in their growth. So as you were in, again, back early days, as you were getting this off the ground, I remember jungling a couple other things and now spending more time on this and you had this kind of slow start, you called it, but were there key partners that helped you take this from cool initial idea to, you know, I'll, I'll say a scalable solution? Yeah, when we couldn't raise money for it, we ended up getting a government grant from the stimulus package. Oh, wow. Um, That's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, I think like 2008. <laughs> That's um, right. During the, that got the our, bust. Yep. Yeah. That got us our first 13 researchers, you know, you, wow. and that helped create that unique data that we could then use to attract other people to help us interpret and gather more data. Wow, that is so cool. Now, okay, so now fast forward. Here we are, uh, 2020. What does your solution look like today? What do your what's your customer base look like, and where have you seen the biggest growth in terms of interest in your your service? So, grocery just kind of is this like, you know, behemoth that is continuing to slowly kind of adapt and change, and we're rolling out to more and more of that. But without question, the VC style of growth or the, you know, the, the super uh, expansive growth that we've seen has been in the CPG market. Sure. And that's where we've basically built a custom platform that CPGs can understand their impact on. Um, and they can also understand what they can change. So if you shift to organic or if you shift to a different location or if you shift to, you know, just doing a cover crop, what happens to your CO2 impact or your biodiversity impact or all these different, you know, we, we track about 127 uh, impacts for your average ingredient. Um, And we've done that for 33,000 ingredients globally. And so, you know, the fun part is basically a lot of these companies, right? Well, they'll have thousands of people. And I mean that literally working on their formulations, right? 
but they probably have a completely separate team that is their sustainability team. And so their sustainability team can say like, we want to go carbon neutral, but the research team, the, the product development team, oftentimes, you know, those people don't have training in sustainability, right? Oh, so how do, you, how do you communicate between them and help those two teams set goals and, and make things better? And so the platform that we built, I mean, it just shows them like a giant heat map for every, for every product that they have. And it allows them to drill down into ingredients and into standards and all this different stuff and kind of have a visualization of this is what we're currently doing and this is what our opportunity is. Yeah, and I know you guys worked with Danone uh, North America. For those who don't know Danone, huge consumer brand, um, you know, products like Activia, Activia. Activia, Dan and Silk, um, the list goes on. How did you derive the partnership with them and developing this Lattice platform? And, and what did that look like as they partnered with you? You know, we were at, um, so there's this event called Google Food Labs. And basically, it's a whole bunch of thought leaders getting together to talk about how to use uh, technology to improve the food system. And one of the partnerships that came out of that was with one person from Danone and some people from Google on basically looking into what the current setup was for how uh, product researchers, product developers were currently understanding impact. And after extensive kind of all of us reaching out, we basically found out that people were Googling it. Hmm. And, you know, when Google's not happy that the answer is people are Googling it, you know something's wrong. Sure, no question. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> um, and so there was an obvious big gap there and we had the data to fill that gap. And we basically, you know, what we said to Dan and is like, we want to develop this with you. We want, you know, we are not product developers, right? And you have, you have very ambitious goals. You know, they're the largest B Corp in the world. They're sure. trying to, to have large scale positive impact. Um, but Again, their, re their research and innovation team might not have all the tools they would want. And so, you know, it was this working together to kind of them showing us how their researchers work and us iterating with them to develop a product that will help, you know, large and small companies kind of be able to make these changes. And so uh, putting yourself in the, the mindset of a consumer goods company, right, with multiple brands like they have, yeah. you know, how, how does this enable them to either drive more sales or a better relationship with the consumer? You know, I, I think one of the big shifts that's happening right now, right, is that consumers have a basic un awareness of a, a brand impact. Right. They have a belief Absolutely. system around whether a brand is aligned and doing kind of what they want. And that's, you know, it, IRI um, and <laughs> Nielsen, um, NYU Stern. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> they, they, you know, they came together. Nielsen does great reports on these two, but this is just a recent one that I just read. And it, it tracked the growth of sustainable marketed products over the last seven years. And the interesting thing, you know, everyone has seen that kind of they've been outpacing the market, you know, for the last time at 25. But the, the interesting thing about what's happening now is they're outpacing actually at a faster and faster rate. Got it. And the big CPG companies, even if you ask them 10 years ago, they'd say we're losing market share to small companies that are meeting people on a certain set of value. Totally agree. Right. Totally agree. Yes. So now the big guys are going, you know what, as people within our companies, we also share a lot of these values and passions. And 
you know, it's a time in our development as large companies that we can actually shift and start to um, take ownership of those and live by those values, right? And companies are doing it with more and less success, right? It can be fake or it can be real. And I think customers are getting better and better at seeing that. And so when they do resonate, though, those are the ones that you're seeing have the highest growth. And the ones that have kind of just pushed this off and just maintained uh, the status quo within their companies. Um, and you could look this up just on kind of market share and new products that fall into this category. They just keep losing, you know, whether it's one or 3% market share a year. And that adds up pretty quickly when you talk about this has been going on for 10 years. So, yeah, so I think there's this overall, like, you know, you've got 10 years ago, it was like, hey, this millennial group is coming into, into right. spending power. Sure. And they're going to shift the market. And everyone was saying it, right? The thing that they weren't saying is in 10 years from now, they're going to be some of the senior people in your companies too. And they're <laughs> going right. to start making decisions so around true. So true. You know, no like the question. biggest thing that's changed for our company is that we've survived long enough for those millennials to now be like, oh, thank God you're here. Versus right. 10 years ago, there wasn't that appetite. Yeah. I um, have seen it um, with both the companies I've worked with and, and for in the consumer products world. And what's really cool about what how good offers for those that are just learning, um, you know, think about a product and like, what is the manufacturing's impact on, for example, biodiversity or water usage or animal welfare or soil health, working conditions like where the product was manufactured, labor risk, like these different elements that, you know, I don't want to say they didn't matter before, but you're clearly seeing consumer goods companies companies deciding and, and building into new brands, especially a lot of these elements, because they're trying to attract a broader population with new products, quite frankly. Yeah. And it's a shift to what, you know, they used to, product development used to happen like with giant three-year studies via Nielsen or IRI <laughs> sure, or right. players. Yep. And, you know, now it, with the amount of money that they'd spend on those studies and the amount of time, 10 companies launch during that same amount of time exactly. and establish their market share, yep. you know? And so that's the shift that's gone on. They're having to adjust to, uh, how quickly this is happening. That's so true. And the beverage space, like hard seltzer right now is certainly a good example of how that's playing out. Um, how yeah. do you play with an IRI, a Nielsen, a spins? Like, you know, for those that are not familiar with the industry, yeah. these, you know, the big brands spend millions of dollars, literally millions of dollars with those companies to buy syndicated data. So basically it's consumer household data, shopper data, like geographic data saying what's selling where and what are the trends. So how do you guys play with, with those others? I mean, we just, we give it the context, right? So we actually plug directly into those and then we can say, okay, it's not just that this product is outselling that product in this demographic. Right. It's the products with these sustainability claims are growing in this market, right? So some of them, they really, um, you know, you see these kind of amazing combinations. Like in baby food, organic is outpacing the market by like 76%, Got which it. isn't that surprising. But if you do organic and unprocessed, right? No heavily processed ingredients, you outpace the market by over a thousand percent. Wow. Right. And Got so it. that's the magic for like enriching data is you can see where the right cross section um, of standards is for a given product. It's so cool. Wow. This is um, great. And so, and the lattice 
product platform service, however you want to refer to it, relatively new. Where are you in the stages of rolling that out? So we literally have just made it open to the public. We've awesome. had um, a bunch of beta, like kind of large CPG players Got it. come on board and be a part of it. So they're already using it, but now we're opening it up um, to anyone who's kind of interested in this data. And we're actually, uh, Danone sponsored five small companies to also get free access. So oh, very cool. if you are a small company listening and you think it can help you, um, you know, reach out. There are definitely some brands that we've had on the contender cast that would love that. I'm, I'm a, uh, I'll, I'll make a connection afterwards. Um, you've been in the entrepreneurship space and built a really interesting and, and, and cool brand here. Uh, what, what would be two or three lessons learned that you'd share with our audience about, you know, going through the process of, of building something that's got scale now? I mean, look, we're the non-typical, right? Like I think, I've talked to so many people in like San Francisco who are like, if your app doesn't take off in six months, um, <laughs> you should probably stop trying. Right. You know? And, you know, I've been doing this for 14 years and now I love it, you know? So you have to love it. And I was okay during the, the lean tough years and I'm okay when we're like growing really fast. So you have to be willing. I think it just means like, it's about striking out on your own and doing something you believe in and you're willing to commit to. I actually just met with a with a VC who didn't invest with us way back in the day. And he said, he said, you know, I didn't invest in your company. And he didn't tell me this at the time, but he, he told me this two days ago. He said, I didn't invest in your company because, you know, your ratings were about the impact on everything, right? Like <laughs> labor, animals, right. the environment. And like the market just, they don't, they didn't want that. They just wanted to know like, was it organic or not? And like how, like, and he's like, and he's like, and I was slightly more nuanced in what I was trying to invest in because he had an impact fund. Um, but you know, I didn't think that that would get to where it is today. He's like, I've now, I'm about to launch this new fund, which I won't name right now. But sure. uh, and he's like, and if I'm honest, the premise is basically built on the exact premise that your company is, but wow. on an investment platform. Wow. Right. And he's like, he's like, and that speaks, I think, to the fact that the market, you know, has shifted to where what you guys saw and you guys were just a little bit too early with it. That's amazing. Um, wow. No. But it's a good thing you didn't give up after six months, you know, <laughs> right. I no, mean, yeah. and, you know, and, and we did some funny things, you know, like, you know, we did credit card debt for three months, you know, to keep the company going at one point, you know, when we were pretty sure we were going to finish closing around, but we didn't actually know that, you know, you don't know that it'll happen until it happens. Right. We totally, we did kind of everything we could because we believed it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and then now, I mean, this is, I would say for a consumer goods brand, it's its more important than ever, um, especially appealing to a whole different consumer base. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, Alexander, share with our audience where they can connect with you, how they can learn more about Lattice, your, your company, service, et cetera. So, you know, I mean, you can go to How Good and click, click on Lattice. And you can kind of see what the platform looks like and you can gain that, that understanding. There's some videos on there. There's a lot of different ways you can kind of look at uh, exactly what it is. And you can also then just, you know, reach out and do the contact us. And we're happy to walk people through and, and show them in detail what it is. Yeah. Such cool. I like this um, tagline you have here, sustainability intelligence. Like that to me sums up a lot of what you're doing. I think that's 
pretty sharp. Yeah. And then I see there's also some great info sessions in November coming up, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean those are those are really fun. The the info sessions get uh, filled up pretty quick, um, but you know uh, I think there's still a couple open, and there'll be more in the coming weeks. So if those are you know booked, don't don't hesitate to look out a little further. You know I think the the interesting thing is that ag is one of the you know undeniable biggest impacts on the world, right? And there's a lot of factors. You know the UN has said that we've got a total of 50 cycles left of producing food in our way the way we currently are before we run out of topsoil but for those wow. of you who aren't into that system that means we basically can't produce food at scale anymore wow. um you know biodiversity is down almost 75 percent over the last 50 years right across the planet right like we're at a point where if we don't make changes and not just you know i i don't think of being sustainable as a being an end-all goal right like Sustainable is a midway point, right? That means do no harm, right? Like if you as a person were laying on your deathbed and you thought I had no impact on the world, that's not something you're proud of, right? Sure. We should, and so should companies be aiming to make the world a better place. And you guys are going to hear a lot about this term regenerative. Huh, and think about it as a scale. There's degenerative, which is you're having a bad impact. Sustainability is the midway point. And regenerative is making the world better. And we should hold ourselves and companies accountable to that. Wow. I love that. And what a better way. What a great bottom line for the podcast today. Um, Alexander, thank you so much for coming on. I, I, this is so educational as much as like interesting in terms of the business you've built. And we really appreciate you being here. I can't wait to see you guys grow. Um, look forward to having you back on down the road to share with us more on how this, um, how this takes off in the next year or two. Thanks. Appreciate the invite. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.